You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled The E-Commerce Holiday Webinar, featuring experts from Chargebacks 911 and BlueSnap. Welcome everyone uh, for joining the webinar. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to join us today. Uh, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the marketing director here at Chargebacks 911. Uh, also presenting today is Estelle Mentz, who is the VP of Operations, or excuse me, the VP of Marketing with BlueSnap. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Estelle. Hi, thank you, Jared. And I'm here with Manny Penza, and Manny is our SVP of Product and Account Management. Hello. Great, welcome, Manny. Uh, thanks for uh, pitching in and giving us a hand today. Um, also from our team is Nate Foss, who is the VP of Partner Relations. Um, Nate is gonna be here to sort of help us answer some of the questions that were submitted. Uh, so, so thanks for helping us out, Nate. Sure thing, thanks. Okay, before I get started, I just wanna go over how this webinar will be structured. The first part of the webinar will include a short presentation from both myself and from Estelle. Um, this portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so it's important that if possible, you close other windows and give us your attention. The second portion of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted. This portion will be less visual, so it's okay if you wanna just listen to that part. Um, also, feel free to submit any questions that you have during the webinar. If we are unable to get to your questions live, we will make sure that we follow up with you afterwards uh, and, and do the best we can to answer any questions that you have. Um, lastly, this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow. However, the replay version uh, may not include all of the Q&A. So if, um, if in order to get the most out of this event, we recommend that you stay through to the end. We will try to be judicious with your time and get through this, uh, uh, this content as quickly as possible. But, but thank you very much for uh, joining us today. So Estelle, I, I've been starting webinars by asking a dumb question. I know for me, it's an honor to be able to speak with different industry experts such as yourself. And honestly, there's a lot that I don't know. Um, so these questions, these dumb questions may just be questions that I have, but I'm also hoping that some attendees might be wondering the same thing. So do you mind if I ask you a dumb question, Estelle? Go ahead. Okay. So, um, the first time I built an e-commerce website, it took me a little time to process and understand the difference between the shopping cart, the gateway, the processor, and the bank. And um, I feel like eventually I, I, got, I had a handle on it. And now in my current role, you know, I, I, I think I have it pretty, pretty nailed down. But I do get a little bit confused sometimes when we, when we talk about ISOs and um, sort of hybrid service solution providers where um, you're, you're not easily, you don't easily fall into one or the other categories. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, BlueSnap is one of those hybrid type solution providers that makes me a little bit confused. So, um, so I guess that's my question. How does BlueSnap specifically, how do you fit into the payment process? And I guess, how is that different than, you know, maybe a more traditional uh, route that, uh, that a e-commerce merchant might go? Sure. So there's no, no done question. So thanks for the opportunity to explain how we fit in the payment process. So BlueSnap, um, we call ourselves an all-in-one payments platform. And the reason for that is that we're both providing a gateway service 
as well as the merchant account. So that's where some of the confusion initially come from because um, back in the day, generation one type of provider, we're really focusing on the gateway element, but recognizing the need, um, platform like BlueSnap um, came with offering both the ability to provide the gateway, but also the account. And I want to double click kind of on the concept of offering a bank account um, because some of the listeners may be doing business in more than one geography or having um, different needs. And so with BlueSnap, part of the all-in-one payments platform is that we not only offer one bank account, but we'll board you depending on your needs to multiple bank accounts, uh, including internationally. So hence the concept of volume one, you come to BlueSnap, you get your gateway and um, your bank account. And you know, as you stated initially, you think payments are simple, but everybody who's been with payments know that payments have become very complicated. So you're Customers are pro uh, probably shopping multiple ways. If you're B2B or B2C customers, or even if you're servicing different hybrid segments, they'll want to engage with you online, on the phone, potentially at subscription services. And they'll want to pay multiple ways. We'll talk about this later, probably. Um, paying with cards, paying with wallets, paying um, with banking products. And that's where payments get very complicated because typically um, businesses have needed to connect to different providers to do that. And again, BlueSnap, the all-in-one payments platform, allows through one integration to sell multiple ways, offer different payment types, different currencies. Um, and as we know, the payment, accepting payment is only the beginning of the payments lifecycle. Um, and things continue to become challenging as you look at to prevent fraud or chargeback, as we'll talk more later. Um, so that's why in the platform, we've also integrated um, counts fraud protection, working with partners, and chargeback 911 for chargeback management. So that, again, the businesses don't need to go and create another contract with another organization, another integration. It's all from the all-in-one payments platform. Um, and as a result of the, all those different needs, we really see our customer narrowing down from having four to five providers to going to BlueSnap with one integration. Um, that means they get one account, they get one payout, which in the back end really simplifies um, their reconciliation, saving time, saving them time and money. Yeah, that, I, I, that that's that sounds like a really great solution because I think um, you know I know that you know back when I was building shopping carts or websites or kind of doing anything, I always ran into this thing where you know you had uh, okay, well I've got this uh, CMS and you know that's compatible with this shopping cart, but this shopping cart isn't compatible with the payment gateway, which I need so that I could be compatible with my processor. And so you know anytime you make a decision, you sort of narrow narrow your options and so so to have a solution that sort of handles all of that or bridges a bridges a large part of that gap um really simplifies things i think for 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 people that are wanting to to process payments online so i i i think i'm, I'm a big fan of your solution 
And uh, before we get started here, I'm, I just want to uh, kind of give a shout out to the guide. You will be receiving this in your email box momentarily uh, before this webinar is over. So, um, but I do implore you to stay with us today because while most of the content that we're going to talk about today is also in the guide, it is not structured the way that it is in this webinar. And uh, I think that we're going to be able to break it down and to distill it down in some interesting ways. That, that should deliver some value. Um, but uh, but the guide is on its way as well, and I hope that you guys also enjoy that. So it's sort of a two-for-one special there. Okay, so the first slide, you know, we're just gonna start with the good news, right? Um, this holiday season is gonna be a big one. Uh, you know, most everybody is aware of these stats, but uh, suffice it to say that there's a lot to be excited about if you're an online retailer or an e-commerce merchant of any type. Um, you know, the 5% the increase in retail sales is huge, um, but then the 15% shift to e-commerce is even bigger. So if, if you're primarily an e-commerce merchant, um, both of those things are going to be really good news for you. Um, year over year, online retailers should expect to drive a lot of revenue in this final quarter. Um, but in this webinar, I'm going to spend a little time, unfortunately, raining on your parade. Not because the news is bad, but because... Um, you know, it, it, I, I want to implore merchants to be prepared uh, for some of the unforeseen consequences that can happen with such a large uh, influx in business that that, that comes uh, during the holidays. Okay, um, now being that we're a chargeback management solution, we always look at the holiday season through specific lenses. And uh, from a chargeback standpoint, holiday the holiday season provides a unique challenge for merchants. Uh, and it, for me personally, in marketing, I actually have a unique perspective on the holidays because I see our web traffic. And every year we see the same exact pattern. Gradually, towards the end of the year, the traffic decreases in December as merchants get busy filling orders and dealing with um, the, the workload of the holidays. <clears throat> then in January, usually around the second week, our website sees a huge spike in traffic as merchants start dealing with the influx of chargebacks. Um, but the thing is that by that point, it's usually too late to make any meaningful changes. Um, and just like with everything that we're going to talk about today, merchants should have a plan in place ahead of the holidays. And honestly, if we're going to be real, you probably need to have a plan in place now. And hopefully many of you do. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, some things that, that maybe, maybe uh, could warrant your attention in the, in the few weeks that you have left. So back to the perfect storm. So the reason I chose to go with this graphic is because it sort of reminds me of that movie, The Perfect Storm. And I'm not a thousand percent sure, but I'm pretty sure I remember the plot of that that movie was that there was like three giant storm systems in in the ocean, and they sort of uh, coalesced and created the perfect storm. And I think that around the holidays, I think it's that type of thing for merchants. But hopefully, a few more people are going to survive. So the first storm in the perfect storm um, is the uh, sheer volume of transactions that happen during the holidays. Um, let's face it, retailers are swamped, and often things like fraud prevention and customer service are deprioritized. Fraudsters know this, and they will take advantage. The second variable conspiring against merchants in, is the nature of the purchases made during the holidays. Uh, first of all, buying behavior is unique, so machine learning algorithms are going to be less less effective at spotting fraud. 
right? Somebody buys something on your website and they have it shipped to an address that's different than their billing address. That's normal in the holiday season, right? Uh, somebody, you know, normally doesn't spend a lot of money. They start spending a lot of money. That's also normal in the holiday season. And also from a friendly fraud perspective, customers are going to be more likely to need returns, right? And honestly, are more likely to overspend. Both of those things are risk factors for friendly fraud. And sort of, it all comes together because the last thing that impacts merchants is simply the timing of the transactions. So um, a large spike in transactions during December can result in a large spike of chargebacks in January. We, we call that sort of colloquially the um, chargeback hangover. Uh, on this slide, we show how Visa currently calculates your chargeback ratio, and you can see that they will use the transactions and the chargebacks from January. So if you're anywhere near a high-risk threshold um, and you don't do anything to mitigate those chargebacks, then the high number of chargebacks in January is going to be against your relatively low number of transactions, and, and, you, and you may breach thresholds and have issues with your processor and with, and with your banks. So when I started working with Estelle and um, Blue Snap to create the e-commerce holiday handbook, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that we both thought very differently about a few things. Um, many of the topics we wanted to talk about were the same, but we had very different perspectives. Uh, so in this next part, we've tried to distill, uh, sort of distill that down. And um, I hope to illustrate how there's sort of a tension between all of the opportunities that merchants have and the liabilities that accompany them. Okay. So I guess, um... Jared, is the storm and then the sunshine before or after the storm? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm the, as we go I'm the little rain this, cloud. <laughs> we'll go through this presentation. So, as uh, Jared mentioned earlier, the holiday e commerce spend is supposed to grow at 15, 16% this year. Um, but it's two different rates. Um, desktop sales are expected to grow at 6%, whereas mobile sales are expected to grow at 32% represented 54 billion in sales. So really the growth of e-commerce for this year is boosted by mobile commerce. Um, and I think everybody here on the call has heard about mobile commerce coming for many years. It's been kind of the topic, what you've been reading online for many years. Um, and I think what is happening is over the years, it started with people browsing on their mobile. They were out and about, they were kind of checking things out, but less um, of those visits were converting into sales. But we're really at the point of inflection where those um, consumers have a much more um, experience maybe mobile purchases. More of them have made larger purchases. Um, so that's why all of the experts expect that this year um, mobile transactions are really going to take off. Um, and really for you merchants, it's really all about um, prepping your store so that you provide the best experience during the holidays. So uh, pun intended, the holidays will be the prime time for your web stores. Um, during the next couple of weeks, what really um, you can focus on is if you have any question about the best mobile experience is to do A-B testing and checking those experiences and see what leads you to better conversions. Um, mobile visits are going to go up and any incremental change that you make, even if it helps your conversion by 
half a percentage point will really help uh, your bottom line during the holidays. And with that, Jared, I think you were going to talk about the down, what things could be doing wrong. I, I, I muted myself again. I apologize. I'm going I'm to leave myself unmuted now. Um, so, so the little bit of the rain cloud uh, uh, with mobile commerce. Um, there is, a, you know, an arbitrage situation. There's a great opportunity with mobile commerce. I think merchants should be very excited about it, and I think they should be investing in it. Um, some of the liabilities, though, are. Um, you know, shoppers are very quick to abandon over friction, right? Your your uh, mobile game really needs to be on point. You really need to ad adopt a mobile first strategy when you are thinking about, um, you know, e-commerce and transactions. Um, fraudsters are also capitalizing on this trend uh, with a lot of fraud activity seeming to come through mobile. Um, a lot of that is probably spoofed, but, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, the uh, for whatever reason, fraudsters are taking advantage of mobile. So, so those are something that you need to be wary of and concerned about. Um, you know, as you as you begin to invest in the mobile transaction part of your business. All right. Next up are e-wallets, and e-wallets really go in and in with um, mobile because they they're really the tool that enables. Um, the user experience that I was talking about a minute ago um, to be much more seamless on your checkout page. Um, giving the option to check out with a mobile wallet will really um, streamline the experience. Conversions increase dramatically. Um, and all around, it's a better experience, better experience for the um, person making the transaction. They don't need to key in um, and thereby takes less time. If you make an error, more likely they're going to abandon. You have better data, more likely to get approved um, because the data was right for the first time. Um, so e-wallet, similar to mobile sales, um, you know, we've been talking about them a lot with uh, mobile commerce expecting to really take off this holiday season. Necessarily, the wallets are going to be um, having a greater uh, importance within uh, the holiday season shopping. Again, from a user experience standpoint, you'll want to test uh, with where you place those logos, how many of those wallets do you want to offer. We'll maybe talk about this a little bit um, later. Um, I saw recently um, one of the apparel retailers I was shopping at um, had an interesting experience with their mobile wallet on the mobile um, of a mobile website, they were really at the top of the checkout page, uh, whereas in um, their desktop version of a website, it's further down on the page. Um, so they really had recognized that it was helping them with conversion, putting it right there at the top um, and really enabling an easy checkout. Gerald, back to you. Yeah. So I'm actually a fan of e-wallets generally. Um, I think that they've been a really interesting thing in the industry. Um, there is a little bit of liability with phones being stolen, and I'm not 
personally 1000% convinced the fraudsters won't find a way to exploit them. Um, but overall, I, uh, they have a lot of potential and I think it's a really exciting, the, the whole alt payment um, category is a really exciting thing in the payments industry. A, um, one thing I do worry about a little bit when we talk about um, things like this is the, just from a chargeback standpoint, the, the consequences of frictionless checkout. Um, you know, I, I think that I think everyone's moving in that direction. I think it's the way to go. But I, but I, but I do know that you know, post-purchase regret. Um, uh, you know, if 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 you uh, allow, if you make it very very easy for somebody to buy something, they they are more likely to regret their decision. Um, and you know, sort of anecdotally, last decade everybody was talking about drunk dialing. Well, now everybody's talking about drunk shopping, and it's a real thing, right? And I'm sort of kidding, but the one-click checkout has some real implications uh, for chargebacks. And merchants, particularly during the holiday, should make sure that they have removed as much of the post-purchase friction as possible, too. That is to say, if you make it very easy for somebody to make a purchase, then you also have to make it very easy for someone to regret that purchase and you know, make arrangements for a return or you know, ask questions, get support, whatever, whatever the post-purchase servicing is. Um, you, you need to have that that sort of you know frictionless uh, attitude with with that type of stuff. And I think that if if you don't do that and you just have a frictionless purchasing process, you're you're going to see um, your your chargebacks increase. And that's that's particularly true in the holidays because of the nature of the shopping. But they're good. All right. Moving on um, across borders, so this is an interesting one um, that, you know, before uh, working at BlueSnap, even though you guys would have probably picked up, but I have an accent, so I tend to uh, cross-border shop a lot more for personal reasons, I did not realize how many shoppers were actually doing this. So this statistic here, 82% of shoppers have made a cross-border purchase is actually from a couple of years ago. Um, so it's probably closer to 90% by now. Um, and it's expected that, you know, holiday season, more shopping, more people looking for that one item that may have sold out in your region. Uh, you go cross border north or south and you may be able to find those items or you're looking for that uh, perfect exotic gift um, that you will shop and likewise uh, people from across the border may be coming to your website to make transactions that they would um, maybe normally don't do. Um, for the U.S. retailers, I was looking at uh, a stat recently from internet retailers. Among the top thousand retailers, and you exclude Amazon when you do that, 9% uh, of their sales on average throughout the year are coming from cross-border shoppers. Um, so you concentrate this in a shorter period um, we, we could see those numbers being much higher. Um, so obviously, if you're uh, e-retailers, uh, enabling cross-border shopping is not something you take lightly. There's a lot of operational um, consideration you need to think through. Uh, the one thing that we want to alert people as they're taking this on is really to think about the payment methods and the currency of the language element of this and providing that localized experience all the way through. Um, if you're um, 
tempted by cross-border, uh, but a little bit reluctant to take this on, not, kn not knowing where to start. Um, BlueSnap is a partnership with FedEx cross-border. That's a good way to get started without taking uh, all the operational challenges add-on right away. Uh, and they do provide a localized checkout, uh, which is actually powered by, by BlueSnap. So it's a good way to, um, to get started initially if it's the thing that you know people are interested in your product, um, but it, it may be a little bit too much to take on internally initially. Uh, and, and I'm sure, sure Jared will have some. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, and, and Estelle, I think that this, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but you talked about earlier sort of, you know, one of the, one of the key differentiators of BlueSnap is that you integrate with uh, banks in different regions. So, 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 you know, that I imagine is probably a little bit of a concern or a little bit of a complexity that might, um, you know, make some merchants uh, wary of doing uh, cross-border, but but you guys help with that as well, don't you? We do, and uh, not only the acquiring bank, but also all the different payment types. So, you know, when when you think about Europe, it sounds you know it's a Western uh, region, but even within the European Union, there's some very stark differences in how people shop. Um, you know, I'm from France. People in France use cards, no, not a big deal. Um, you go over to Germany, and they don't. Um, so then they'll pay more with banking products or you ship the goods and then you pay. It's a totally different um, experience and and so you, you really need to think through where you're going to you know, start operating and what's the end-to-end -end customer experience. Hmm. Well, well, good. I think I think you reined on your operate a little bit there, but I think I think it's you know I think it is is one of those things where. You know, you, you need to urge caution, but you do want to you do want to uh, let people know the opportunity that's out there, and it's, and the opportunity is growing year over year. And I think, I think, um, I think, I think now's the time. If if merchants haven't really had a global strategy, I think I think now's the time to start looking into that, at least in in limited areas. Um, some of the things to be concerned about from from a you know rain standpoint is that you know of course if you start selling into Europe, then you have uh, issues with GDPR. Um, and you know we've been kind of going back and forth on some different GDPR compliant rule sets, and and it is a it is a, it is a complicated mess, especially if you're going to be you know holding um, uh, consumer data and things like that. So so that's a concern. Um, and then you know if if you choose where you're shipping physical products, uh, you know there's some there's some areas of the world that are are very very high risk. So you need to have a strategy in place to make sure that um, that you're servicing those uh, uh, safely and 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 smartly. Um, and then the only other last thing, and this I'm not going to get into it too much, but there is sometimes an issue from a chargeback prevention standpoint where. Um, you know, if the amount that they see is not the amount that is charged, uh, both either because it was in a foreign currency or because the, uh, um, you know, the way that it, uh, uh, you know, the, the the way that, however the transaction went through, it was slightly different than how it was estimated on the website. Um, there can be issues uh, with that that can result in chargebacks that we've seen. So, so those are some concerns. But you know, I think with all of this stuff, I'm very pro. Um, all of these things, but uh, merchants should be aware of them. Okay. All right. Um, so, stating out your terms and conditions and policies are definitely always um, a good practice. 
during the holidays, you can expect um, very likely to have more shoppers that are not familiar with your product and your brand, people making gifts, um, exploring different areas that we're less uh, familiar with. Um, so having your um, return policies, so on and so forth, very clearly outlined, um, making them easily accessible will really help that shopper who's um, maybe not as comfortable as making that purchase that they usually are to kind of take the leap of faith if um, you know you have those um, policies easily stated. Um, so definitely encourage to take a fresh look at your policies, um, make sure they're clearly understand understandable and accessible for different places of your website. Yeah, and truth be told, this one uh, didn't fit <laughs> in the um, opportunity liability structure as easily, but um, we were we were on a roll, so I, I did one more. Um, and the, the the sort of liability when it comes to policies that I wanted to talk about is, um, and this is really in reaction. It seems like not this webinar, but almost every other webinar I've done where people have submitted questions. One of the questions was something like, you know, what language do you put in your uh, uh, terms and conditions to make sure that you win chargebacks. And, you know, that's, you know, what I always say is that that's very wrong-minded. That's, you know, that's not going to be effective. Certainly put the language there, but just there's no magic bullet with the language that you could put. Um, and honestly, probably from a chargeback prevention standpoint, you want to go the other direction, right? So you want to probably really loosen your, your, your policies. You want to give people an extra couple of months to do returns. You want to be able to to accept returns, you know, maybe uh, I know it's I know it's a bad thing, but accept returns without receipts, accept returns, make it easy for people to to send stuff back because you know a lot of times they bought it for somebody that you know they may not need it. Somebody else might have bought something for that person. Um, that person may have three of the thing that they bought, uh, and in the rush of the holidays they lost the receipt. So I know that there's a lot of fraud liability, and, and somebody actually asked a question later in this webinar about this, but um, but you know, really taking away that friction and making sure that you serve the customers in January and February is going to be the number one way that you reduce your chargebacks. And um, you know, having really strict return policies and things like that is not going to be—you're not going to be able to benefit from it. Um, I think in general, but particularly this time of year. Okay, right. Stel. Customer service. So the holidays are a stressful per period, not only for the retailers, um, but for the shoppers. Um, so, you know, providing that extra care, um, stuffing your customer service um, team um, more heavily than you usually do during the holidays uh, will pay back, uh, both in terms of um, potential down the stream consequences uh, that Jared was touching on, um, but, you know, having a good experience and turning with customers as maybe one-time shoppers into uh, ongoing good customers. So we have a couple of uh, good data points here in terms of uh, best practices. Um, you know, some, some details matter. Um, it's incredible the number of um, emails, you know, your, your standard order confirmation emails uh, where the subject line is not really well detailed and so when you go back a couple of weeks later you want to make sure that um, you know you, you made an order there were five of them one is missing if you don't can't find that email it's it's a real hassle for the customers so really looking at what you're doing on a regular basis and um, 
poking holes and making sure that um, your customer service is as strong as it can be during the holidays um, is really important. And, you know, cannot be prepared enough. Um, you know that you'll get more calls into your customer service. Um, at some point of time, you'll get those returns come January. And then one thing uh, we did not touch upon too much today is gift card redemption. Uh, gift cards continue to be a popular uh, gifting item. You will see those, re those um, redemptions in, you know, soon after um, the holidays and throughout the month of January. Uh, so being able to take them training people on um, this gift card, really making it simple on your website um, to add another payment method if the, if the gift card balance is not high enough um, to complete it just with the gift card. And I think for now we're going to move to questions, Jared. Are you on mute? That I wasn't going to do it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's get through these questions here. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, this one's uh, for for uh, for uh, Manny or Estelle. What different approach does Blue Snap follow with respect to its competitors to streamline chargebacks? Sure. This is Manny, so I'll I'll, I'll take that one. So. Uh, what we've done with our partner, Chargebacks 911, is given our merchants uh, a couple of offerings to dispute chargebacks. We obviously have chargeback reporting in our console. We obviously report on the number of chargebacks won, number of chargebacks lost. But uh, where we are somewhat unique is in the actual process of assembling a case to dispute a chargeback. We have two different offerings there. One is for merchants um, that really don't have an in-house chargeback staff. As we all know, chargebacks are somewhat complicated, different chargeback reason codes, different timelines to respond to certain chargebacks. So one option is really for our, our merchants to completely outsource the, the uh, dispute process to our partner, Chargebacks 911. And what Chargebacks 911 does is they'll basically look at chargebacks uh, determine which ones they think they can dispute and win. Uh, they will integrate to a merchant's either uh, CRM system or support system to gather the evidence to dispute that chargeback and then assemble the dispute package and submit it to the issuing bank. So it's a completely hands-off approach where the merchant really does no work in disputing a chargeback. The second option that we offer is more for merchants who have people that know how to dispute chargebacks. They've put together the uh, dispute cases in the in the past. And for, for those merchants, we basically help them put together that dispute um, package by having what we call a case builder piece of functionality in our application that is provided by Chargebacks 911 that basically prompts the user or helps or helps the user assemble a package to dispute that chargeback. All right. I, I like answers that mention chargebacks 911, Manny. So that's I good. thought you would, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, the next question uh, is probably for Nate. Uh, how do you deal with chargeback fraud regarding customers who say they want to return an item they received as a gift? Sure. So um, this this sounds like a little bit of a double whammy if I'm if I'm understanding it correctly. So uh, I guess this would fall under both chargeback and refund fraud or abuse. So the the use case here, if I understand the correct the uh, the question correctly, is um, someone engages in friendly fraud and then takes that item that they said they didn't receive, for instance, back to a physical store, um, and you know gets the refund from it. So uh, we, we we all know that, and there was actually a, a recent survey that I found from uh, from the NRF National Retail Federation that said that retail return fraud um, costs merchants as much uh, as much as 15 billion, and this was from 2017. There's things like um, um, wardrobing, which is free renting. You know, the person uh, goes to the store, buys something, wears it to the event, and then returns it a couple days later. Um, and Jared um, and Estelle had actually touched on this previously, but obviously there's things you can do with your business just to create policies to uh, to curb those behaviors. So, for instance, with return abuse, um, you can do things like um, you know require a receipt for return, shorten the time frame in which a return can be made, um, require you know things like the original packaging be intact or be included. Or you know what most what most um, uh, merchants will do is is allow only for store credit for returns, um, and, and we know there's obviously ways around all of those. People can falsify receipts. Um, uh, you know one of the other things that I I had had heard, and this was an article, and I think Amazon and some other uh, large merchants are are doing this as well. Is you can you can um, deploy software. Or you can have, um, you know, uh, tracking in place that for certain customers who have, um, you know, done multiple returns in a 12-month span, you can add them to negative lists or, um, you know, take action that way. Um, obviously, the challenge is, is the balancing act, um, you know, keeping policies from being overly restrictive, um, you, you know, which in turn might discourage your loyal customers. Um, but that's just something that that each business and each merchant is going to have to decide what they deploy. Yeah, I think I think it's a difficult thing. Yeah, because I think you know if return fraud is your primary concern, then I think you know adding some friction there is probably going to be your only option. But but you know I, I it's it's the, it just depends. Which is the lesser of two evils? Because that friction will ultimately result in more chargebacks. Because if it's easier for somebody to go to their bank than it is to to return something, then um, you know they're going to be more likely to do that. Uh, so uh, the next question, um, I'll throw this to you also, Nate. Um, what is the one thing I can do to be successful post-holiday as it relates to chargebacks? Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll keep this short and sweet. Um, you, you know, the, the easiest thing is just be prepared, um, you, you know, especially with your bandwidth. Um, the, in the same light that uh, leading up to your busy season, whether that be Cyber Monday, you know, the holiday season where your team is very dialed in um, on the front end on your fraud prevention, 
you would want the same thing on your back end. You know, be prepared for a large increase in your chargebacks if you've seen a large increase in transactions. Know that your chargeback to transaction ratio will typically stay the same and in fact increase um, uh, after the busy holiday time just with, uh, you know, typically, you know, when, when we speak to merchants across the board, across many different verticals, uh, you know, buyer's remorse is a leading factor to friendly fraud and chargebacks. And when people see their credit card statement in January, um, you know, inevitably that will lead to a high number of chargebacks. So just make sure you're prepared. And then keep in mind that after um, the visa claims resolution had rolled out in April, processors and acquirers are reducing the time window that you have to put together your representment cases. So you might have had a 15-day window and you have, um, you know, your, your, your team in place ready for that. And then you get a note that says uh, that that time window has been dropped to seven days or 10 days. So just keep that in mind. Um, obviously, merchants partner, um, you know, with chargeback management providers like Chargeback 911 for different technology solutions to help out with that or just to outsource it to us as well. Yeah. And, I, you know, and again, I'm going to go back to the thing that I, I think, you know, make make sure that you, you guys are answering your phones and make sure that it's if people want to send something back, if they didn't like the color of the dress or it didn't fit, just just make sure that it, that it's possible um, for them to get those returns. Because if um, if you put obstacles in their way, you know, in in this day and age, thanks to Amazon, um, you know, everybody's just gotten used to everything being a click of a button. And um, and so you, you need to kind of emulate that in your business or you're, you're going to a certain number of people are just going to find it easier to file chargebacks. So, um, you know, make sure that ahead of time you have that all of that thought through and all of all of your customer service um, points staffed up and able to handle the, the you know, flow of returns and all of all of the things that come post holiday. Um, okay, this next one is for Estelle, and we talked about e-wallets a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, with all of the different e-wallets, if, uh, you know, somebody just wanted to get started, which which one or ones would uh, you recommend that uh, they use to, to, you know, be the first to integrate into their business? Sure, and uh, before I do that, I just uh, categorize a little bit the wallets because it's a there's many of them and they're not all from the same nature. So we think about wallets in three different buckets, um, kind of a mobile device based being your Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Android Pay now, relabeled Google Pay, were really designed for mobile browser in apps. So if you have app based, a lot of people downloading your app, um, probably a good place to go. Uh, then you have the uh, network based um, browser-based um, wallets such as Visa Checkout and Masterpass, uh, which really make that browser experience really seamless, desktop or mobile. Um, and then finally, um, PayPal and Alipay stored balance slash credit card e-wallet, uh, extremely popular. Um, so depending on, and it all depends looking at your um, site data. Where are your customers? Um, you know, if you have a good portion of Asian-based uh, shoppers, Alipay will help you convert those shoppers, uh, no doubt. PayPal is probably a good place to start, very popular. Um, and then I would look at 
you know, in Google Analytics, you, you can see who the type of devices that people are using to come to your site. Do you see more Apple device versus other devices? Um, and your credit card bins, do you see more MasterCard or Visa? And kind of make those decisions um, accordingly based on what, what you see today um, with your shopper behavior. Uh, but starting with, uh, you know, two is probably a good place to start. I would um, take one of the PayPal, Alipay, and then depending on where you are, uh, and then opening up to one of the other mobile wallets. Okay, and then this one I'll, I'll kick to um, Estelle and Manny, but really if anybody has any ideas how to answer this question, um, you know, uh, let me know because this is a this I'd like to know this. Um, which payment methods are associated with the least number of chargebacks? Uh, so I, I'll take this. The next few questions and answers were only heard by our attendees. The remaining questions will resume in a moment. Okay, this one, um, and Nate, you and I talked about this one a little bit, but uh, somebody was asking, um, why do card issuers ask for signed proof of delivery on chargebacks when most of on online retailers do not ship orders with signature required? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a card scheme rule, not a bank rule, obviously. Um, they, they're the governing bodies. Um, and just with our merchant base, our customers, this is something that they struggle with as well, not only because there's costs involved in it, but um, they know that there's repercussions for not having it. Obviously, you're going to have, uh, you're going to decrease your win rate by not having uh, assigned proof of delivery for chargeback reason codes like items not received. What we recommend is that you have a decisioning process in place. Uh, where you can roll it out for certain transactions and omit it for others. Um, you know, those in instances would be things like large ticket items or those with higher resale value. And again, this is just one of those things that um, that individual merchants will will have to weigh out the the um, you know the advantages and disadvantages of that. Yeah, I I, I agree. It is. I mean, it, it's. You know, I, I think when I order stuff online, it almost it almost always shows up without a signature. So I I feel I feel the uh, questioner's pain, but I um but I I think everybody's in a difficult situation there, right? Because if I'm a, you know, if I'm a customer of somebody and I order something online and they say it got, you know, left on my doorstep, and the mailman said he left it on the doorstep, but it's not there, whether it got stolen or the mailman left it on the wrong doorstep accidentally, uh, you know. Having to, having to pay for that is a is a hard pill to swallow too. So it's, I, th I think in those instances it's real hard to assign liability, and um, and so I think that's why they're so stringent there. So they're trying to they're trying to find a workable solution. So that, that but uh, people do t take advantage of it, unfortunately. So I wish we had a better answer, but um, some empathy is about all we got. I think on this one. Okay, the, the, that's going to be the last question. I don't know. I think we're I think we're pretty. Let's see what time is it. Yeah, yeah, we're almost all the way to two hours, so I think that's going to be it, unless anybody has any other thoughts or anything that they want to uh, add. No, thank you for having us on your webinar today, Jared. Absolutely, and thank you, Manny and uh, uh, Nate, for joining us as well. 
Um, I look forward to it. And um, everybody check out the the handbook that is in your email box. I think you'll enjoy it. It's got a lot of good tips and uh, um, good luck and uh, profitable uh, holiday season this year to everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.